0: Hi, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings the beginnings of companies, of new ideas, of new uh, progress in science, and sometimes even a bit of a peek into the future. And I'm here with the CEO of one of our hottest portfolio companies, Shiv Goglani of Osmosis. Great that you're here, and it's your first time. You were just saying your first time right in this part of San Francisco where we are.
1: Correct. Thanks for having me, Mike. And uh, Yeah, I've been to SF a number of times, but I haven't explored a lot of areas yet. And as I was saying, just yesterday I was running across the Golden Gate Bridge for the first time, and this is my first time to your lovely uh, part of SF as well.
0: Well, it's uh, great to have you here. So we're doing this today in my uh, home office, which is sort of tucked up in the hills in a part of San Francisco. that used to be a hideaway for uh, uh, early... uh, Silent movie stars so it's a uh, uh, kind of quiet up here which is why we do these <laughs> things sometimes so um, so folks know a little bit more tell everybody about uh, osmosis, what it is and why of all the things you might have done you decided this was the best thing for you to do.
1: Yeah, so we were trying to solve a personal problem that we had. My co-founder, Ryan, and I were medical students at Johns Hopkins back in 2011 when we started talking about how learning medicine could be made a lot more efficient through uh, technology. Um, And so about three years ago, though, we were joined by the team that used to run Khan Academy Health and Medicine. Uh, And as you know, they're based in South Bay. And so a lot of those teammates are still in this area, which is also one reason I come out here. And so we had a similar vision for the need over the next 10 years to educate not only clinicians more efficiently so they can provide the best care to their patients, but also directly to educate the patients. Uh, and it makes for recruiting uh, a lot easier because we're, since we operate at the intersection of health and education, we find a lot of very mission-driven people just attracted naturally to what we do.
0: So why educate the patient? So the argument can be made the doctors, a lot of medical schools and all that. Let's get to them. But why should in your view educating the patient be the natural complement to making sure the doctor knows what the doctor needs to know?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's a partnership. Uh, I think one 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 issue in healthcare is for a long time it's very much been like um You know, pre Martin Luther times, where you need uh, to to communicate to God, you have to go through a priest. And then Martin Luther had his Reformation, where he said, "No, you can communicate directly to God as well." And I think, in general, that's our view on um, on where healthcare should go. We need to democratize access to and understanding of health conditions, because the more patients understand, and we hear from patients every day who watch our YouTube videos. Uh, Just yesterday, some patient who had amyloidosis commented on our video on that. Uh, very complicated subject that now he finally understands the condition he has, which makes him not only a more educated uh, patient, but a more engaged patient who can speak to his doctor and she can help uh, help him um, become a, more of a partner in his own health. And so that's our view on society. One reason we also were very happy to partner with you all at Social Starts and Joyance Partners in that a lot of what we focus on is how do we uh, spread not only education, but joy to our learners who oftentimes are patients.
0: It makes sense to us. And it's one of the reasons why we invested. We see enormous evidence that individuals are determined to be at the center of their own lives and care as part of their lives and educate themselves and be co-participants in everything, including health care, and simply won't accept the godlike medical figure going, I'm the doctor, you're not shut up and do what I tell you to do. And uh, so it made a ton of sense to us when you were talking that way. And I'm curious. So Dr. Google is out there. Dr. Google is infinite. So and people do it all the time. They go and they type type in amyloids. They type in anything and see what they see. So why is your education uh, better, stronger, more attractive, more useful? Why should folks come to you rather than simply Dr. Google?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great question, and, and frankly, um, Doctor Google is actually a good refer to us, uh, right? So when people search in in Google, you know, they'll oftentimes find us depending on what they're searching for, but primarily YouTube. So YouTube is the channel that we found our most. Um, Uh, largest audience. Back in April, we crossed a million YouTube subscribers, uh, and that's continued to grow, um, where basically if you search for conditions like schizophrenia or sickle cell, you'll find an osmosis video. The reason people come to our videos is there has been a general trend towards people consuming more visual content. Obviously, the rise of um, things like Instagram and uh, Vimeo and YouTube has uh, indicated that. And we are a video first solution for health education. So we aren't just text like WebMD used to be, um, but we, we go uh, very visual. We also have attracted an audience that doesn't want things to be dumbed down, right? They can handle um, more details about their own bodies and the conditions because we take we, we avoid jargon. We try conveying things in simple, approachable language but we don't shed details, right? We are basically virtualizing medical schools so that our 1,300 videos or so are the same videos that medical students are using to learn what they need to know to pass their exams and become uh, physicians. And those videos are also attracting patients because uh, they have the details, but they're approachable as well. So that's one reason um, the Khan Academy medicine team left Khan Academy and joined us is they wanted to go deep into healthcare and had a strong vision for how to convey that uh, in video format that we agreed with.
0: Uh, and that's another aspect, I think, of what you're doing that we found resonated strongly. Uh, we feel like health traditionally has treated the individual like a child. Yep. Uh, 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 insuffi- you might have graduated from Harvard. You might be a nuclear physicist. And you go to the doctor's office and says, I have two oranges. Let me explain <laughs> this to you simply. And it's just like... No, what the hell's going on? Tell me. And, and uh, I can handle it. And I think it makes for a much better conversation to just be straight, be adult to adult.
1: Exactly. I, I You know, I come from a family of health providers. So uh, my father is a retired physician, my mother's a physical therapist, my sister and brother in law are dentists, and my wife is an OBGYN. And so I'm sort of the black sheep, having started going to med school and then left to be a tech entrepreneur in education tech. And what I hear from them is um, basically the, it, it is natural for physicians and other providers to feel like Doctor Google is giving patients the wrong advice and making people cyberchondriacs, as it's called, where they're worried about every little thing, and and that can be draining. But at the same time, um, I think they have more and more of them are recognizing that this is truly a partnership, and you you know patients and clinicians need to speak the same language, and that's essentially where Osmosis wants to live. It's Again, with the same video being watched by providers and by their patients, they they can come to a shared understanding. And frankly, in this day and age, one of the stressors in on clinicians is just time, right? They're so overburdened. There's so many patients, there's physician shortages, um, that they have an average of, say, seven minutes a patient. And so in that seven minutes, how do they... Appropriately educate and convey all that needs to be conveyed about a condition like amyloidosis. So that's where osmosis can fit in as well is instead of just flipping the classroom like Khan Academy did where before you go to class, you're watching the videos, uh, recorded videos, we talk about flipping the clinic. So before you go see your clinician for a follow-up visit after a recent diagnosis of diabetes, you can watch the osmosis video on diabetes and have an understanding going into it. And we have uh, at least half a dozen hospitals and health systems that are using our content in their waiting rooms so that patients can be educated about things before they go see their provider.
0: Which makes sense. Now let's talk about the doctors. So you talked about this as sort of extending medical school, if you want to call it that, or the ultimate study buddy for medical school so um, uh, how does it work on that side how do you find the students how do they find you and as a business where's the heart of things so are you a medical school that's also giving information to patients are you the best medical school because you're giving information to patients or what's that relationship between the two sides
1: great question so we are primarily um educating clinicians, and current and future clinicians, and the patient aspect has been a nice kind of side effect or byproduct of what we've been building. Um, so when Ryan and I were discussing ways to improve health education, we identified three problems that were uh, inherent to health education. The first is that there's just way too much information for anybody to, to know and memorize. The second is it's dynamic. So what you learn in med school, Five years out, about half of it will be replaced because new drugs have been discovered, new guidelines come out. So you have to become a lifelong learner. So a lot of what we do is teach these clinicians how to learn and how to update their knowledge. And then the third is it's high stakes, right? Uh, There are a lot of successful ed tech companies that teach language or teach math. And those are obviously very valuable skills, but in medicine, things are high stakes. If you forget the side effect profile of a drug and you give that to a patient, you, know, you could hurt their life. You could hurt their, uh, and also in the process, hurt your career. And so these are very high stakes pieces of knowledge that we have to be able to get across. And so one of the fundamental innovations that osmosis had is that we retarget our learners. So we know that a second year medical student at University of Michigan learned about sickle cell anemia uh, today on August 22nd, And six months from now or six years from now, when that guideline on sickle cell changes, which it inevitably will, and we update our content, everyone who's ever seen that content will get an update. And that's more important than say, you know, again, if we were teaching algebra, that doesn't change that often. And even if it does, a lot of people who learn algebra don't need that update. Whereas in healthcare, you you do need that update. And so that's one of the innovations. And we aren't yet a online medical school, though that's sort of where we're skating towards, where we're virtualizing a lot of the didactic pieces um, of health education. Um, And we just launched nursing and PA. And and basically, there's a lot of shared knowledge uh, that all clinicians, allied health professionals, doctors need to know, as well as their patients. And that's where we're starting.
0: Right. Yeah, that's actually one of the questions I was going to ask was how and when. This might become a medical school because you'll basically have everything except the hands on aspects, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So we have a strong B2B uh, institutional um, uh, revenue stream. And basically, we have over 40 institutions like New York University, University of Michigan, University of Arizona that have partnered with us to provide, to basically virtualize and, and make their curricula more efficient because that's what we're doing. And they're taking the first year or two years of school and virtu- making it uh, virtual and more engaging. And so that's how we're starting out is by taking away It's sort of like disruptive uh, innovation. If you've read Clayton Christensen's work, where we want to take the things that are more, um, we want to be that curriculum for anyone through partnerships with institutions. And then eventually, if we can layer on the hands-on or the VR-based procedural skills, then we could be a full medical school.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And we're actually seeing the same thing uh, in the fund in terms of care. So... Not enough doctors, not enough nurses, not enough of almost every kind of practitioner and a desire that people have to be more involved in their own care. Those run counter to one another. So what can you do about it? And one of the uh, knee-jerk thoughts is telemedicine. Well, you put the doctor the clinician or the psychologist in the screen, uh, more available, et cetera. But then the feedback comes, it doesn't really work fully. Uh, on its own. And so now we're starting to see hybrids where that telemedicine session might be in a Walgreens. Right. Where there's actually someone who can come in and go, I want to double check because I think you have the blood pressure cuff on wrong. Right. And, and I just saw you run to get here. So, uh, you know, when we're taking your uh, uh, heartbeat, we're not getting your resting heartbeat. And uh, it's a blend of the two. And I suspect the medical school, same thing. It's like real world light. Or real-world augmented, in a way.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's a really good way to think about it. You know, speaking of telemedicine, one thing that I think you'd find really interesting is, um, you, you know, it's obviously a moment for telemedicine. There's a lot of very successful companies, um, some of which have gone public, some of which are preparing to go public in telemedicine, because that's one way to scale uh, the shortage of clinicians that we have, right. um, where they can work from home, too. Um And so one interesting study just came out a couple of months ago that uh, showed patient satisfaction scores in these uh, visits for um, telemedicine appointments. And they were specifically looking at patients who presented with respiratory infections um, where it's either bacterial, in which case they want antibiotics, or it's viral, in which case antibiotics don't work. The number one predictor of whether that patient would be satisfied is if they left that visit with a provider with a prescription for antibiotics, regardless if it was bacterial or viral. And so we see a role to improve telemedicine, not only where there's this in-person component potentially eventually, but through education, because when you're waiting to get connected to your teledoc. Uh, You could potentially get a quick one minute video just explaining to you that, hey, if you do have a viral respiratory infection, antibiotics may actually make things worse, not only for you, but for society, because that that may lead to resistance. And so we want to do something like targeted education that can drive real outcomes in which, like in this case, reducing over um, improving antibiotic stewardship as an example.
0: Right. So I want to go back to something you said. So you come from a medical family, everybody's doctors, doctors yeah. right, left, sideways, you're going through medical school, and you decided to become an entrepreneur instead. That must have been a distinctly non-trivial decision. Uh, how'd you go home and tell Dr. Mom and, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Dad and all uh, about, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna break the chain.
1: <laughs> it was tough. I mean, it's uh. Fortunately, I have a very supportive family, and my sister, four years older than me, became a doctor. I mean, she's a dentist, and so I think she scratched that itch a bit for them. I still, to be clear, I still am on leave from medical school, so it's been eight years <laughs> on leave, and I I do eventually want to go back because I think seeing patients is the best way to uh, come up with ideas for things that you can improve in their lives, but the the vision and the passion we had for health education and improving that was just too high to pass up. And at this point, you know, given where osmosis has reached and the people we're employing, uh, my parents are fully supportive. They're very happy with the kind of that decision as well.
0: So let's talk about this a little bit as a business. It's doing really well Yeah. as a business. So talk about that a, a little bit. And you just had kind of the sort of a round a lot of startups wish they had. And how do you, believe you were able to get to that milestone sort of so adroitly?
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for, um, thanks for asking. And again, a lot of that is through our investor network like you, like you all uh, who have have put on events like the sales training we were just talking about that you put on last year. So, um, you know, we wish, I wish I could say that we designed it. A lot of this does come down to luck. And one of my favorite quotes though, is Thomas Jefferson. I'm a firm believer in luck and I find that the harder I work, the more of it I have. And so we happened to come, you know, we were very passionate about this for a number of years. Um, and then I think the market has finally understood that health education is a path to let people find meaningful careers. As retail jobs, as transportation jobs get automated away, and there'll be a lot more over the next decade, we're finding that the fastest growing jobs in uh, in the U.S. and certainly abroad are uh, things like nurse practitioner and um, uh, physician assistant and home health aide. And so those people are flocking to those fields where soft skills and things that can't be automated away um, exist. And so Osmosis has kind of established itself as a leading um, brand in the education of health providers at this point. And we're still very early on. So the business model is primarily B2C, where we give away a lot of free content on YouTube and on our platform, Osmosis.org. And um it's a freemium model so a certain percentage of our learners will just use the free content and then if they want more content as well as associated features that help them consume and uh, benefit from my content better then they'll subscribe on a monthly basis annual basis or even two years up front and then increasingly, we've been getting B2B sales directly with the health institutions. So NYU, I mentioned, and a number of others that subscribe on behalf of their students and faculty. So right now, it's maybe a 60-30 mix, B2C to B2B, with the other 10% being uh, advertising and other revenue that comes in.
0: And those medical schools or the universities, they're paying you per video, per student, per video per student? <laughs> uh...
1: Yeah, they're paying us basically per per, per user per month. Um, but it's generally an annual or, or uh, in some cases, two or three years upfront contract. So it's nice renewable revenue. Um, and one nice thing is we go B to C to B. So essentially when we have a certain penetration at the school from a B to C perspective, we, can, we then go and talk to the admins there sure. and then we have the right get metrics everybody. to get their interest. Yeah,
0: yeah. makes sense. So um, uh, going back to the A round, so uh, we see, a clear delineation in our portfolio, which is big between companies that seem to rocket through their A rounds. There's a lot of interest, it's very strong, the metrics are there, and companies that sort of struggle through their A rounds and then companies that um, are tortured and can't quite get their A rounds. And, and you were clearly one of the companies that got there quick, There's a lot of interest. Um, and you're, you're sort of saying there's a lot of luck in it, but do you add a sense for other entrepreneurs listening, what was it you said, or what was it you accomplished between your first raise and that A raise that was led by Felicis and uh, that uh, you think attracted them to you and caused you to get that forceful high-end support.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, my co-founder and I have talked about that a lot. So there's several things that came into play. One is obviously, I think the most important factor is strong business fundamentals, right? So having a uh, proven revenue, um, uh, not necessarily profitability, but having proven revenue that we can see a pathway for that to grow quickly. Um, and so we, we had done that. We had established that. We bootstrapped ourselves to revenue very early on. Um, And that's always attractive. We've always had investors find that as an attractive component. The second is finding key angel investors who are well connected so there's a direct line between kind of how we got from an angel to felices um so peter frischoff is one of our super angels peter. you know Say peter
0: hi. yeah i haven't talked to him in years really yeah. yeah yeah boy he's a grand old man in this area
1: how do you how, how, well, how do you know way peter? back
0: when he first started his company i can't even remember is it, it scp I, communications yeah, yeah? Well, i was still in journalism i think and um, and we were very early investors in Waterfront media that's yeah. now everyday health. And so we knew each other back then. So say hi. Oh, that's great. I will. Long
1: time. We call him jokingly, call him the godfather of osmosis. He actually yeah. has a mug that says that. So yeah, he was a super angel. And, um, you know, he, he started Medscape, uh, very well known in the space. And so he invested. And then he was just at a brunch or a breakfast with Alan Patrickoff at Greycroft. Sure. And then uh, Alan got really interested in who we are. We met with him. We weren't looking for money at, from, from Greycroft at the time, but. Um, it made sense given his connections and then we took money from them. And then there was a wonderful article in Crunchbase that Alan, um, helped get us where he was talking about the company and why he was so excited about it, by it. And that's where I did send cut the, uh, head of felices found us um so it, that is that's kind of where the luck comes into play um in that there is a network and there's a flywheel effect when it comes to uh, investors who are really interested now they all did their diligence they all you know had to talk to customers and they all had had their own independent theses and had investment committees but um i think it helped that there was this network effect where people trust each other um so that's the second thing i would uh I would recommend to entrepreneurs. So number one, strong business fundamentals. Number two is having a couple key investors who can open doors and and find other networks.
0: Yeah, I think all that makes sense. And I'd maybe add one more, which is to be in a strong category, to be in a strong segment. Right. So you're doing something that all of our research, and I'm sure all of theirs says, on the one hand, the business side of medicine uh, desperately needs transformation, not enough doctors, not enough this, not enough that, not enough education, too much uh, new uh, uh, opportunity being created by change. And on the other side, patients are like, I want to be in the center of things. And so when you step into the middle of something that has momentum in it already, you've got wind in your sails. Totally. You don't have to row, row, row to get anywhere. And, and I think that makes a big difference to investors as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and and it also helps too. A lot of our investors share our values, right? Like, I mean, one one reason I love Joints Partners is you guys focus so much on health and happiness for the human condition. And like when I read a lot of, about your values and other portfolio companies, um, you know, just say it's the people we want to interact with and meet with. So I think that's really important too is our, pretty much all of our investors care deeply about health and education. Um, And that makes it great, because even if there's a quarter where maybe we didn't hit our financial uh, numbers, the mission and vision are still strong and still there. Um, And I think that that helps us get through any tough times.
0: Sure. I think uh, my investor contract says, oh, you're never going to miss your numbers, are you? (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's true. In our case, though, we come at it not so much from a mission point of view, but just from an analysis point of view. Uh, If it's possible to approach healthy human beings with belief, you're healthy now, we can keep you healthy and actually believe that. All this data, all these tools, uh, understanding on your part, uh, understanding on society's part, then that's what's gonna happen. And if that's what's going to happen, and one starts thinking about it logically, then how many hospitals do you need if folks aren't getting sick as much? How many walk-in clinics do you need? Should it be a walk-in clinic, or should it be a walk-in non-clinic? Right. And all of these ideas start cascading, and to us, that uh, degree of uh, deep change is deep value. Right. It's helping a lot of people. It's giving a lot of people an opportunity to help themselves, but... That's because all of our research says they want it. There are lots of things we could imagine that people don't want or aren't ready for yet. Um, and uh, this seems like something where the science is ready and the people are ready at just about the same time.
1: When like, How did you all come up with that thesis? I'm just curious.
0: We um, uh, run our funds by analyzing really intensely every year what's going on out there. So one of the things we learned pretty early is and we joke about it a little. The, the best CEO on earth has dedicated his or her life to electric bananas. And there are only so many people on earth who are going to like electric bananas. And there's a binding curve. So that CEO, if they get every one, is only going to be so big. All right. And yet the third or fourth best CEO in the strongest market may have a really valuable company because everybody wants this. Everybody needs this. And Uh, Yeah, there's an Uber, but there needs to be a Lyft. And even though there's a Lyft, there needs to be cars running up and down Third Avenue in New York because it's a little cheaper. And there are all of these success bases in really strong markets. So we began looking hard at, well, what are the signals of strong markets? And about two and a half years ago, we picked up this set of signals about change in uh, medical science, health science, DNA, uh, biome, uh, all of these areas that was revolutionary. Things yeah. that used to be million-dollar machines inside hospitals are now on your wrist. Right. And soon it'll be inside your body. Yep. And it's a Turing thing. You know, it becomes synonymous with magic. It looks like nothing's going on and everything's going on. And we hadn't seen one that big in, in a long time. And that's why we started Joyance. It seemed like a confluence. Yeah. I mean, Bill and I, the founder, and I talk about biggest hurricane we've ever seen. We're like weather people... We're looking at hurricanes every year, and this one's enormous. Wow! And and so it felt like it deserved uh, the time and attention of a fund, and 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 since we've started Giants, it certainly appears to be true. Um, stuff that's going on is incredible. And, yeah. And every change that we track in every other portfolio company is a need for you to re-educate practitioners in what's now possible or common or all of these changes, and so it's all kind of synergistic.
1: Definitely. I mean, that, that is definitely an area, too, where we're seeing growth. So we, we just launched something called Diffusion Studios. So we had a lot of basically it's our skunk works for developing um, bespoke content. So uh, we have an army of illustrators. We have proprietary software for developing high quality videos. I mean, we, we got to 1300 videos and we're making another 100 or so uh, every six weeks. And the reason we're able to do that is through, again, this uh, scalable content, scalable and high quality content production engine we created. So we have a lot of med device companies, pharma companies, hospitals, health systems and direct to consumer companies that have these new devices, things that will, you know, transcranial direct current stimulation, which helps improve memory and focus as an example. And you know they need to be able to educate providers and patients about that in a very short, appealing way. And osmosis, because we have such a big brand in in, in on YouTube and other places, um, is like a natural partner for them. So we we don't want to say no to those things because it's good revenue, it's good partnerships. And then when those as those companies take off, you know it's more videos we can create in partnership with them.
0: So uh, you went to B school, you went to med school. How'd you know anything about producing a <laughs> scalable super high speed? educational content system
1: so I wish I I wish I was the one who would come up with the process but uh, we've been very fortunate to attract good talent as mentioned uh, great talent and uh, the the person who deserves credit for that there are two people three people in particular our chief medical officer Dr. Rishi Desai who used to work at the CDC and then worked with Sal Khan and and launched Khan Academy Medicine he was the uh, inception of that to, to use the name of your podcast and then um, Thank you. he brought along uh, Tanner Marshall, who's our creative director and the voice behind uh, our videos. We joke that at this point, our videos have been viewed about 650 years worth of minutes, watch minutes. Um, Tanner Tanner's voice alone probably accounts for 400 years of viewing. So it, when next time you see a, a physician or uh, if you consume a video of ours and you hear this really friendly, approachable voice, it's probably Tanner. Um, you know, it, it's pretty remarkable to think that one person has had that much of an impact on how people are learning uh, in terms of his voice and and also visual style. And the third is our director of video production, Vince Waldman, who just made it a machine in terms of production. So what I found is that I like the Steve Jobs quote, it's um, you don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. You hire smart people so they can tell you what to do. And that's that's the best lesson I learned from for business school, probably.
0: That's so we believe that fully. and we're just about out of time, but yeah. there's one question I have to ask. It's incredibly important. Did you actually write a book about getting a perfect score on the <laughs> SAT and the ACT?
1: So I'm a bit of a nerd and, and good test taker. And uh, yeah, it was a, in high school, I was a really good test taker. I guess. Um, yeah. And uh, a friend of mine and I wrote a book on how to, basically, we view test prep not as a, stepping, as a stepping stone or an obstacle to be passed, but as an excuse to learn better. And so the whole thesis of that book was, you know, don't just cram and binge and purge things for the, these tests. Learn vocabulary. Actually become a better writer, and you'll, you'll get a better score. And so that, that's, uh, it, that was actually published under the Osmosis K-12, uh, back when we weren't as focused, Osmosis K-12 um, imprint. Huh. Yeah.
0: I didn't even realize it was part of the company.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh,
0: cool. Well, uh, we're out of time, but great to see you. Thanks for everything. Thanks for being here today, and thanks for all the progress. We're delighted with the the way the company has been shaping up.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and again, thanks for all the support you've given us over the years. So.